You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America. Conservative Review's senior editor, Daniel Horowitz. And along with co-host Joe Koss, they break down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering The Conservative Conscience. Welcome back to the Conservative Conscience. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz. And yes, this is Daniel, not David Horowitz. There's been a lot of people on social media asking me, hey, are you that guy at Breitbart talking about Steve Bannon? Well, I'm not talking about Steve Bannon at all. As always, we talk about longer, broader issues, deeper issues. And look, I'm getting it from both sides. I'm getting it. Oh, and by the way, it is Tuesday the 15th of November. (laughs) Sorry about that Russian in there. It is the day of orientation in the House of Representatives, which I'll get to in a moment. But, you know, a lot of people are telling me, look, Daniel, you know this is not going to work. You said it yourself. We need a new party. Let's go start a new party. And then I get it from the other end. Well, you're being too critical of Trump and Republicans. You got to give it a chance. As always, I'm somewhere in the middle. I'm a squishy moderate. <laughs> and that's the thing. I'm, I'm a pragmatist when it comes to a strategy, certainly not an ideology. And I want to get to you folks who are concerned that we're giving them too much leeway. I want to get to that later on in the show, what I, what I believe are the opportunities, what we can focus on, what we can accomplish, or what we can at least try to accomplish um, but first, for you guys who think that, hey, you know, ding dong, the witch is dead, Democrats lost, you're all giddy with excitement, let me just temper your excitement just to demonstrate what we're up against. So obviously today, the 15th of November is the day of orientation for the House of Representatives. This is when all the new members elect come, they teach them where the bathroom is, where their office is. They, uh, they usually come with their chief of staff or campaign manager. And then immediately, boom, they walk in the door, they vote on leadership elections. So without any introspection, without any, any time for these guys to get their bearings, first day in Washington, they're voting for leadership. They should really push this off for another month. And I, I hate to say it, but you know all the top leaders, top four guys, Paul Ryan as Speaker, Kevin McCarthy as Majority Leader, Steve Scalise as Whip, Kathy McMorris Rogers as the Conference Chair. Those are the top four uh, leadership positions in the House. They're all getting reelected with no opposition because there's nobody to challenge them. No, nobody wants to challenge them because they won't get more than 30, 40 votes. So just warning you guys, the election didn't change anything. These are the same Republicans, same leadership. The Senate's going to do the same thing. Mitch McConnell's going to be leader. John Cornyn's going to be majority whip. John Thune is going to be conference chair. Same deal. None of this is going to change. The same guys with the same modus operandi, with the same mindset, the same failed views. These guys who believe that sovereignty and being strong on immigration was an electoral loser, um, those guys who believed we need to run on criminal justice reform and this whole minority pandering, they were defeated, but they're not going to change. So in terms of a legislative agenda, what we could do, what, how we could harness this opportunity with full control of the federal government for the next two years, we have our work cut out for us because these guys have not changed. And 
you know, one thing before I get to what I think is the path forward, you know, what we should focus on, what should be our major focus in the coming weeks and in coming months, the first day back, the first day the House uh, was back on Monday, the Senate didn't uh, convene yet, at least not as of Monday, what did they focus on? <laughs> they focused on a concrete bill. I'm not kidding you. Basically a bill that forces the concrete industry to do assessments and it goes into a fund that helps market concrete. Social engineering. It's, it's a backdoor tax also because they pass the cost on to the consumer. And and again, this is all industry-driven. This is all special interests. So it's funny. You could have 10 issues, and we're going to put out a list of our top issues that we feel make sense to to push legislatively that are winning issues that are easy to message you can go back home in your district and and message it against the democrats they don't focus on issues like that they don't focus on that stuff it's all these random weird things that are just handouts to special interest or pandering to some sort of focus group it's it's ridiculous so these guys have not changed one iota the election has not emboldened them at least not in the way you and I would want them to uh, to pursue much-needed conservative change. I'm just looking at the legislative schedule for Tuesday, and uh, I'm not sure why. This is probably going to come out later today, um, so this th- stuff might have passed. But there are three items on the House agenda today. And I, again, I'm just going to read this to you just to give you a sense of what, what it's like in the House for those of you who don't follow closely. They get back after the election, first week back. What are they focused on? Okay, here's the first one. HRES 780, a resolution urging respect for the Constitution of the Democratic Republic of the Congo in the Democratic transition of power in 2016. What? <laughs> How about a resolution uh, to respect our Constitution? such as respecting the role of Congress over the role of the judiciary and stripping the judiciary of their ill-gotten power. And by the way, I'll have in the show notes my two-part series on the imperative, the need for judicial review, as well as the opportunity for judicial review. um, What did I say? Judicial review, judicial reform, and what it looks like. But why are we talking about this? Again, it takes 10 minutes to pass this, but still, why is this their focus? If anything, you want to focus on the Democratic Republic of Congo, they should focus on shutting off refugees. We're taking in thousands of refugees from there for God knows why. Um, but but anyway, that's one bill. Next bill, H.R. 5332, sponsored by Representative Christy Nome, Republican from South Dakota. She's viewed as one of these up-and-coming conservative stars, even though she's not conservative at all. Uh, a bill to ensure that the United States promotes the meaningful participation of of women in mediation and negotiations processes seeking to prevent, mitigate, or resolve violent conflict. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> this is what these guys focus on. Um, I'm, I'm not kidding. This is your Republican House. And then uh, H.R. 5732, the Caesar Syria Civilian Protection Act. A bill to halt the wholesale slaughter of the Syrian people, encourage a negotiated political settlement, and hold Syrian human rights abusers accountable for their crimes. Look, that sounds lovely, but what? Again, this is all a pander fest. That's the common denominator. It's it's special interest. It's pandering. This is what these guys are focusing on. Same old garbage, electing the same old leaders, 
So this is what we're confronted with even after they win this election. It's, it's unbelievable. Nothing really has changed when it comes to these guys. I, I, don't, I, don't, know, I don't know what we're going to do about this. But I'll tell you this much. You can't hope for change. You can't, you know, many people accost me in the streets in my neighborhood saying, Daniel, what are we going to do about this election? Who's going to win? And then they disappear the day after the election. This is when we need to assert ourselves. I mean, this is when, you know, we're working overtime here at Conservative Review. This is where we need to get our agenda in there. And uh, look, some of you might laugh and say, yeah, right, with this Republican uh, Congress, Look, we got to try to do what we what we can do, but one thing is for sure, we can't just sit back and hope they're going to do the right thing, hope that they were humbled or emboldened by the election results. They were not. Um, it, it's a terminal illness. If, if you've ever been in meetings with these type of people, their brains are just oriented in a different way. The elite governing class, they just think stupidly. I mean, I don't know how to express it any better. This is what Bill Buckley always used to say, that he'd rather be governed by the first 450 names in the telephone book than by the Harvard uh, faculty, because it, it's not just that they don't know anything. they th- Their thought processes is just so screwed up. It makes no sense. They think winning issues are losing issues. Losing issues are winning issues. So, so that's to you guys that, that think we should just uh, celebrate, but I don't think there are too many of you. Now, what can we do? Say Republicans will never serve as a home for our party. I've said for our views, I've said that many times. Let, let me just say from the get-go, if I could press a magic button and start a new party, I would do it. And I was certainly committed to doing that had Hillary Clinton won. The reality is people are very excited about this, even our allies there's no way we're going to have enough people to start a new party at this point. I still believe in my heart of hearts that in the coming year or two, it will wind up, we'll land in the same place. And perhaps we'll have more people with us by then, because then everyone will see that we, we tried our last opportunity and we failed. But I think we have no choice but to see this through this one last time, given the unique opportunity. So what should we focus on? What I think I think we should focus on three things. One is the immediate issues, the immediate mandate, the immediate, you know, when you have a patient that is coming in with gunshot wounds, stab wounds, also has some chronic illness, you got to do triage. You got to see what's going to kill you in in a, in a year, in 5 years. What's long term? What would be nice if we could reform, but it would cost a lot of political capital, it would distract a lot of time or there's better ways of doing that. You know, we got to look at what are the systemic problems. And I want to look, so again, three things, immediate issues, systemic reforms that are easy to message, which I don't think entitlement reform and tax reform fall under those categories. I think systemic government reforms, term limits, getting rid of congressional pensions, you know, some of these... um federalism reforms, devolving power to the states. I want to discuss that. That's going to be a big part of it because I think that's really the territory, the landscape that we could actually implement conservative reforms. I don't think we're going to win on too many issues. Think about it. Even if you had, at a federal level, a solid Republican Party that actually believed in what you and I believe in, 
I mean, look at the election results. The Democrats still did win the popular vote. You have half the country that is that is up against you. It's very tough. After one or two issues, you've expended all your political capital and you've barely saved the republic. We're like trying to dig a trench with a spoon here. That's why I think we need to get it back to the states, the red states where the demographics favor us, where people are more receptive to our message. Uh, that's where we could reform some of this stuff, but the states have no power. That's why we need to devolve education, devolve transportation, devolve welfare to the states. That is what I would push at this point rather than try to, trying to solve it on a federal level because I just think we're going to run up against a brick wall. Um, and I think that's also how to parlay some of Donald Trump's um, liberal views on fiscal issues into something worthwhile. He wants to spend more money. Say, look, we're not going to cut it, but but join with us and, and return – the revenue, the gas tax for for transportation and the ensuing responsibility, return that to the states and and let the states decide. You know, do we want to raise more taxes? Do we want to cut welfare, or do we want to raise you know raise taxes? Do we want to cut taxes? Focus more on universal projects like infrastructure rather rather than parochial welfare programs. That's what we'd hope to do in red states. California will do what they do anyway. We've lost California. California. We've lost Illinois. We've lost New York and much of New England. We're not going to get it back. I say this as a Marylander. We've lost Maryland. We do have a Republican governor, but you know this is where things need to head. And I have a big piece coming out on the great opportunity in the states. I'm going to talk a lot more about the convention of the states and some of those opportunities, but I think that's what where we need to head. We need to focus on, instead of trying to solve it at a federal level, how to return the power to the states so the states have a larger sandbox of policy, of revenue to play with to implement our policies. And then, and then um, you know, like I said, this starts before we get into the big ticket items. I think there's the immediate things. And those, to, in my mind, are the issues I discuss in my book, Stolen Sovereignty, still available at Amazon.com. Actually, there's been more of a interest since the election. I wrote my book precisely for this moment. Now, I didn't think Donald Trump would be elected, but I thought we'd have some sort of Republican president. And instead of the usual wish list, oh, let's focus on tax reform, let's focus on entitlement reform. And, and these are all good things. What are the immediate triage items? And I look at things that if we don't take care of in what I call this closing window of electoral viability with this growing demographic time bomb, which I discuss in Chapter 7 of my book because of the unprecedented immigration from the third world and, and the continued trajectory, if that doesn't change, judicial reform, religious liberty, and immigration – and not just you know getting rid of illegal immigration, that certainly has to be a part of it, but obviously getting rid of chain migration, getting rid of birthright citizenship, counting illegals in the census, illegals voting or non-citizens voting in our elections, election fraud. These are all things that will prevent us from even winning elections and getting these other reforms. You know, also they'll help preserve our permanent majority that I think we're we're going to have in state governments or many state governments. So if we stop that and we get some of these issues into the states and we push a convention of the states, which I'm going to focus on hopefully in the next podcast when we have some guests on from the convention of the states project, we do all that. I think there there there's hope, but I don't think it's worth expending our political capital all on tax reform at this point. Um, you know, I think we do need to focus 
on some of the issues that you know we got to do immediately. And that's obviously, as I mentioned in my book, religious liberty. If we don't have religious liberty, we don't have unalienable rights. If we don't have unalienable rights, we don't have a country. That That is a dumpster fire. That has to be put out immediately. And then judicial reform. I have my two-part series on judicial reform. I think we need to harness this opportunity when everyone's talking about who's going to be the next Supreme Court justice to take a step back and say, wait a minute. Why is the judiciary more important than Congress? They don't have this power. Congress has a number of tools in, their, in its arsenal to rein in the power of the judiciary, so they're not the sole and final arbiter. In short, I want to make this ele- this utilize this election, harness this opportunity to push systemic reforms that I think are doable and federalism reforms that will help us in the long run so that we're no longer one election away from losing our constitution, our liberty. So we're not one court case away or one Supreme Court justice away from losing our constitution as it was adopted and losing unalienable, unalienable rights and natural law and the Bill of Rights. You know, that's what we need to, rather than just push our, um, our policies, I think we need to look at these systemic reforms. We need to push judicial reform. We need to at least try. So, you know, these are kind of my one-off things. I don't think tax reform, I don't think that makes sense. And tweet me if you disagree with me at RM Conservative. I'm curious to what you guys think. Look, I, I if I could press a magic button, I would change the tax code to either a pure flat tax or, or, or a fair tax. Consumption-based repeal the 17th Amendment, obviously. I, I'm just telling you, that's not what's going to happen. Every time we pick up the ball, we wind up tossing an interception and go backwards. So I'd rather not take up the ball. First of all, I don't believe if, if you, again, getting back to our patient and triage versus kind of long-term ailments, I don't view tax reform as a triage item, right? If anything, this is one of the few issues we're actually a little bit better off than we were historically. After the Reagan and Bush tax cuts, Taxes are relatively low on a federal level. They could be a lot better. They could be a lot simpler. You could have a lot less social engineering. Don't get me wrong. I certainly agree with that. Um, I'm just saying you're going to run up. Here's the here's the dirty little secret with the federal tax code. Half the people don't pay on net, don't have a net positive tax liability, at least for federal income taxes. So by definition, if you really wanted to institute a flat tax, You'd be raising taxes on people. Now, I don't disagree with that philosophically. I think everyone needs to be paying a very small, fair amount, but but a little bit that is used to purvey the constitutional functions of government, the military, the border patrol, um, and some other functions that are national in scope. But that's just the reality. So any tax cut will be labeled as as a tax cut for the rich, you're going to have to expend a tremendous amount of political capital. And what winds up happening is they, they, in order to make, make it that it's not just for the rich, they wind up expanding the earned income tax credit, throwing in more pork for low income, throwing in more social engineering. And then lo and behold, they're not so flat anymore. So that's why you see all these flat tax proposals. You look at them, none of them are really flat because of that problem they're dealing with. How do you deal with that? Obviously, you'd exempt you know, at least the first $30,000 of income from um, you know, flat tax. And I understand that. I agree with that. But th- they go a lot further than that. 
And again, and, and you're going to meet resistance from half the country. And it's not as bad as religious liberty is. It's not as bad as some of the sovereignty. You know, my slogan, sovereignty, security, and society, the civil society. Those are the issues I feel we need to deal with because they're systemic. If we don't do judicial reform now, we will lose our democracy. I mean, the courts will throw out any last positive reform you want to do in the 33 states that we now control, in, in which we now control the state legislators. We control both chambers of the state legislature in 33 states. We have the trifecta, meaning the governor and both legislatures in at least 25 states, I believe. So there's a lot of good things we can do, but the courts are going to throw it out. We got to reform the courts. We got to make it clear that the courts are not the final arbiter. We got to limit or, or reform judicial review. We, we got to increase Congress's oversight over the courts and return some of that power to the states. We got to address immigration. Otherwise, we will not be able to win another election. I'm going to demonstrate that in my, uh, in my election piece coming up. I'm just, I'm just warning you, as, as, as much as this election seemed to be a repudiation of this kind of permanent Democrat majority electoral theory, it's still coming. You know, I proved that in Chapter 7 of Stolen Sovereignty. We, we need to get some of the sovereignty issues, the stolen sovereignty under control. We need that, and I think those are winning issues. Those are winning issues. Cutting off, you know, cutting off benefits for illegal aliens. That is a winning issue. When you start messing with the tax code, it's a problem. And by the way, one other note on the tax code, I believe regulations are worse than taxes. So put it put Obamacare aside for a moment. There's at least a fifteen thousand dollar regulatory penalty per year per family. Every every family pays in terms in, in the form of higher costs on, on vital goods and services as a result of onerous regulations. That's really where you can message the American people. You could unite both the business interests of the party, the populist interests. I think regulatory reform is good, but you know, taxes, most people don't see it that way because a lot of people don't don't pay taxes. The way to hit that is with a convention of the states. Otherwise, we're just going to be fighting trench warfare, trying to t- trying to take Gaza back block by block. After two or three blocks, we we're dead. You know, we're going to expend all our political capital. And again, we don't have a true conservative party that I think could properly message this and is properly committed to it. I'm just saying they're not going to promote po- you know positive tax reform. So that's why I think we sh- we should focus on some of the one-offs. Let me let me give you a one-off example, and we're going to have more of these ideas. Social security tax. The tax on social security benefits. That's a form of double taxation. They paid into it, and now you're taxing their benefits once they get it. Imagine if you just abolish that. You want to offset it. There's plenty of things you could offset the ta- the you know so-called revenue loss. By the way, I forget the number, but the government takes in very little revenue from it. So it really hurts the people that are affected by it. It's very onerous. It's double taxation. But it's not like the government gets that much revenue. Tell me that's not a winning issue with, with the you know seniors who are basically the most prolific voting demographic. Again, these stupid Republicans will never think of it. Marco Rubio has a Senate bill. My buddy Ron DeSantis from Florida has the bill in the House. This is an easy one-off reform that you could do on, on taxes. I think there's some good kind of piecemeal stuff we can do 
Um, because again, I just feel we're not going to get wholesale tax reform. And the better way, the easier way to do it is convention of the states repeal the 17th amendment. And that, that is that people think, man, that's great. You know, even people that don't really pay taxes on net on the federal level. But if you try to keep the current system, just say, oh, I'll make it flatter. A, you're not going to want to making flatter. And B, the reality is most people don't pay it and they're going to, they're going to be upset at you. So that's that's just my kind of unique take on tax reform, but um, but anyway, I I just think, you know, we need to focus more on the long term stuff, and and and, you know, how do we utilize this time to make it that when the Democrats inevitably take back government, and they will, whether it's four years from now, whether it's eight years from now, it will be one of those two. <laughs> I'm just I'm just warning you. Uh, you know, historically, our government swings back and forth. People get ticked off, and I'll, and that would be even if this would be a good Republican party. They suck, so they're going to do bad things. Trump is going to do a lot of bad things. We're going to get blamed for it. How do we jam our foot in that window, the narrowing, the closing window of electoral viability, getting some long-term reforms so that we still have a number of state governments that could do a lot of good things, even when, um you know, the federal government is controlled by the Democrats. That's what we're going to look at here at Conservative Review. My uh, vertical here, the conservative conscience, we're going to look at some of these ideas in the coming days because we should never be one election away from losing our, our liberty. This is our Constitution. This is our Bill of Rights. This is our natural law. This is our God, our country that was founded on on religious principles, on godly principles, we have home field advantage. Just because we, we we lose an election, we shouldn't lose that. Maybe you lose some of your policy initiatives you want to pursue, but some of that stuff is owed to us. You know, we talk a lot about entitlements. Well, that is our entitlement. We have an entitlement to our system of governance that was adopted in 1789 and was never nullified as much as the left thinks it was. It wasn't. So that those are the type of reforms I think we need to look at. And, and that I think in my mind that plays to Donald Trump's strength. You know, he's going to be a dumpster fire on many fiscal issues, many social issues. But I think, you know, and again, I'm, I'm reserving judgment, but from what I'm hearing so far from cabinet picks, I think we might have some good opportunities on national security, foreign policy, rebuilding the military, ending social engineering in the military, and immigration. As much as I was concerned Trump was a fraud on immigration, he's been pretty consistent so far. Look, if you have a guy like Jeff Sessions or Chris Kobach running DHS, that would be a dream come true. That is where we need to strike, and we need to focus him on that and focus Congress on that. We need to play them against each other. So, you know, with immigration, we need to work Trump against the establishment in the House. When it comes to fiscal issues where Trump's a liberal on, we need to harness House conservatives against Trump. We need to get what we want on each given thing. But just understand, I think for the most part, we're going to be playing defense on a lot of this. But when it comes to sovereignty and security, that's where we need to make our mark. That's where we need to make major immigration reforms so that even if Democrats win next time, um, that will change. Let me just give you one idea. And again, I, I promise you all we're going to have a tremendous amount of writings on this. Good ideas. Send me your ideas. I'm, I'm curious what you want put out there, what I could serve in my limited sandbox here um, as, as a megaphone for some of the ideas that you want to put out there. But one idea is, for example, you know, obviously Obamacare needs to be repealed immediately. 
again, we're going to have more on that as well. Refugee resettlement needs to be stopped, at least from terrorist countries like Somalia, Syria, and Iraq, Afghanistan. That needs to, that, that needs to be stopped immediately. Done. Um, you know, and I'm hearing good news that Trump will do that in January. Again, we have to hold his feet to the fire. But an example of a long-term reform is this. Long-term reform means, you know what? We're going to pass a bill, and I have this in my book, two ideas. Number one, having the refugee program expire every other fiscal year. So that means rather than the president being able to do whatever he wants, every other year it, it expires. So the default position is no refugees are resettled unless you affirmatively pass a new law in Congress. So therefore, if you know we have a Democrat president in, in, the, in the future— but we still have a Republican Congress, or at least a Republican House, no refugees unless the House agrees, and they won't. We'll ensure that they don't. We'll pressure them. Also, Scott Perry, from a Republican from York, York area of Pennsylvania, he has a great bill that was one of my uh, solid ideas in, in Stolen Sovereignty, allow states to block refugee resettlement, or, or better yet, require that state legislatures sign off on it affirmatively. Otherwise, that state cannot be used as a resettlement uh, conduit for, for, for the Middle East. These are reforms we could put into place so that even if we lose the election in two, four, six years from now, congressional elections, presidential elections, we'll at least have somewhat of a firewall. I call it the rainy day reforms. That's what we're going to focus on. How do we make this election different? That we're not just focusing on the same things, don't really get them done anyway, lose our political capital, get nothing, Democrats come in and further destroy our country. We need to look long-term. Until then, I'd be remiss if I don't plug our sponsor here. Go to preparewithcr.com and support the Patriot Depot. Get 99, uh, I'm sorry, 140 meals for 99 bucks. I'm telling you, you look at all the rioting going on, if, especially if you live in an urban area, you might not be able to get to the store. You never know what's going to happen with this craziness. Make sure you got your 140 meals, tasty meals for just 99 bucks. Pop them in the microwave. Often you don't even have to pop them in the microwave. I, I got to try some of my own meals here. Tasty stuff. Go try it out yourself. Until next time, God bless. This has been another episode of The Conservative Conscience.